Welcome to Dyslexia and Beyond. For our third podcast, we will be interviewing someone who has chosen to work with people with undiagnosed learning differences as well as diagnosed learning differences in several countries across the world. Today, we will be hearing from Raymond Moylan, who is a teacher at my school, but has taught in several schools across Europe and North America. Without further ado, let's begin. I guess then the question that would be a good follow-up for that is you taught all over the world. You've met, as you said, thousands of students. Um, but when you look at a teacher, a lot of people don't know when they're a kid. They want to be a teacher or they, um, or even a lot of people don't want to want to even be teachers, right? We have problems with staffing in schools um, because of that. What made you become a teacher or want to become a teacher? Okay. Um, yeah, and, and we were just talking about this a little bit. Um, if you had told me when I was your age that I would be, grow up and become a teacher, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, I couldn't wait to get out of high school, and I had no intention of ever stepping foot in one again. Um, not that high school was difficult for me, it was fine, but um, to think I would choose to go to a high school every day, it's my job, uh, for 17 years it's been now, I, I would not have believed you. Um, so why did I do it? Um, well, I got my under, undergraduate degree in history. I always love history, it's my first passion. and. Um, what do you do with a history degree? Not much. I, I don't know. You become an historian, I guess, whatever that means. Um, and so I, I had to, what, what do I do with this thing I like, this thing I love? You know, how do I make a career of it? Right? Um, and what I realized is that if I really knew and loved history, then, well, I should teach it. And I wasn't sure I could, but like a lot of things, the only way to know is by doing it. So um, I, I got a master's degree in education. I got a job teaching, and um, I realized I was good at it. I liked it. I liked being in a room full of kids and, and talking about something I thought was really interesting and, and noticing that often they were interested too and I could, could connect with them. And so, um, you know, I, I, that realization was big. And I think that, that fundamental relationship between a class or students and, and myself was, was built, and that's what my career was built on. Um, I didn't wanna be a teacher, I didn't plan on being a teacher, but um, it, it, simply worked and um, that hasn't changed. I, I, I actually, I was working in New York City. I was tired, my wife was a teacher, she was tired. We went to Dalhousie, I was going to get a master's degree. I was gonna maybe, or get a, a PhD and stop teaching. And what I realized was that I didn't wanna do that. I didn't wanna get a, a PhD and, and either teach at university or write books or something. It didn't interest me. What I wanted to do was what I was already doing, which was teach and teach teach secondary school or teach high school. And so, 
um, taking a, a short break from teaching to get a, a master's degree, it, it helped me define myself and what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was what I had already been doing. And so um, here I am doing what 17 year old me would think would be impossible, which is teaching. So then um, how did you get into teaching people with learning differences? Well, um, my first year teaching, I, I had a, an inclusion class. So I was the, the classroom teacher and I worked with a special education teacher um, who, who supported some students in, in that classroom who had, had um, IEPs. And so um, just working with this teacher and, and interacting with them and also interacting with, with some of the students who had learning differences, um, it, I, I found it challenging, but I also, it was really interesting. Um, people all learn differently. People process information differently. People um, express themselves differently. And, and if you get away from the idea that there's a normal that everyone should conform to, and you realize that people all process and learn and, and can be assessed in different ways and, and are have all these unique abilities, and you realize that, and you can teach in a way to reach them, it, it's a much more powerful thing. And it's not easy. It's not always something that is done and done well, but uh, as a fundamental understanding, it's important. And so I, I realized early on that I, I loved teaching history. I still do. But I loved also trying to reach students that often were, were not reached or were, were left behind or left out. Yeah. Um, a previous guest we had on talked about how he phrased it, uh, dyslexifying the world. So someone, let's say they have dyslexia, um, won't re receive proper support and in doing so becomes demotivated and because they're not receiving proper support, the teacher also becomes demotivated to teach them. Have you ever found this to be the case? Maybe not with yourself, but observing other teachers and your many years of teaching? Absolutely, and I, and I would say I have found it in myself. It's 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 a challenge now. I think it will always be a challenge reaching every student. It's a difficult thing. It's the most difficult thing about the job. Um, it's it, it can be a variety of reasons, but um, it's not easy to to reach every student and give them the same level of support and teach them the same way you're teaching everyone else. I think that's the big challenge. In either a small group or, or a big class setting, um, giving every student the opportunity to learn at their potential and have the support they need and deserve is a difficult thing. It's always the biggest challenge. And I have not succeeded with every student. I don't think most teachers could or any teacher could really truly say they have. Um, it doesn't mean you don't keep trying, but I think it's important to, to realize that my methods or my strategies aren't, or my blind spots, whatever they are, are there. And so um, it's a constant challenge to, to work harder, 
to figure out how to help students. And if I don't have that capability, then then to make sure I can find the, the support that that student needs if it's somebody else. So would you find, let's say you're teaching a student and you know with your strategies you've been employing, uh, which I'm going to ask you about in a mm -hmm. minute, you can't help them. Um, yeah. Do you then like go try to find another teacher either at the school or a program outside of the school that could help support them? Uh, depending on the situation and the student, yes. I know that, um, and you'll, you'll ask about supports, like I'll, I'll be very honest with you, I don't have like detailed scripted strategies that I follow. I don't. There's teachers that have them, there's teachers that know better how to help a student uh, understand math concepts or how to help a student um, break down key components to a science experiment. And I know that. And so it's important to sort of know what you do know, know what you're good at, and then also know who to reach out to if you don't or who can do it better. I think you have to have a certain amount of humility in this profession. You can't think you know everything or can do everything because you cannot. It's impossible. So uh, being dyslexic um, and you being my, one of my support teachers, uh, I sometimes have trouble spelling words, of mm -hmm. course. Um, you have a very interesting approach to how you teach it and how you try to get me to learn how to spell the word and I find that it's not quite exactly saying oh just read it out loud or just write it down on the paper a few times or scan over it until you get it. You take a more visual or direct approach to it than um, just kind of putting it all on the student to do. Would you mind explaining how you came up with that or what you exactly do? Sure. Um, I, I mentioned I was a, an English as a second language teacher in Hungary um, for four years I did that and I had students from the ages of 9 to 19 and some of my students they spoke virtually no English they did not understand it they could say nothing they could write nothing and um, what I realized early on was um, that oftentimes you have to start with not just words but letters and how letters sound the, the sounds of vowels and this is a um, you know what when I was young was called phonics the sort of sounds of letters sounds of words it's not really taught as much these days I think it's it's making a comeback but um, the fundamentals of, of what letters sound like and combinations of letters sound like is really helpful uh, to, to practice and Combining the sound also with what it looks like. So you have the verbal and the written, or the oral and the, the written is important. You've been, for me, I feel like a great teacher, one of probably the best support people I've had in my whole career, being a dyslexic. <laughs> um, my wonderful career. Yeah, yeah it's it's fantastic career, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Pays well, pays yes. well. Yeah. Yes. Um, but... So, what are your like experiences when you teach somebody? What's your teaching style? How do you find like best to approach a new student? Other than we've talked about how you want to build a relationship mm -hmm. with them, but let's I want to go more into depth on how you like train or actually 
teach the student. Okay. Um, so I, I think um, if it's for, let's say, a class setting or even an individual student, um, there's two things I, I think I focus on, which I don't know where these came from, but I think one is honesty. I try to be honest with the student about either what I expect from them, what's going to happen to them, what I can do for them. And the other one is humor. Um, I, I find humor effective. Uh, if I can get a student to laugh or at the very least smile, I think that's helpful. Um, it might be a, a tool I utilize too much at times, but, but I, I find it disarming. If I can get a student um, to laugh, then I think that's helpful. I think school can be tedious. School can be challenging. School can be difficult. School is not necessarily fun. Besides yourself, most people don't come to school when they don't have to. And that includes teachers. But it, we're here, we have to be here, and we might as well get the best out of it. And so I think making elements of school enjoyable, if you can, is, is a really good thing. So. I, I want to build that relationship with a student where I can be honest with them, I can share some humor with them, um, and as I said, that can be a, a whole class or just a one-on-one, -on -one, but I think that's not always the easiest thing to do, but are often my, my tools, the two tools in my, uh, my tool bag. I think an interesting follow-up uh, question to that would be, do you prefer to work with uh, junior school, so grade one to eight, or senior, so grade eight to 12? I find uh, over my career, I, I've mostly worked with the senior school, older students. Um, and quite simply, I think um, it's because my humor just is more applicable to older students. Um, my humor is not laugh out loud, I'm a clown, but more deadpan, or more dry. Can agree and with that. Uh, I think students have to have a certain, often have to have a certain level of, of maturity or sophistication to get it. Um, it's much harder to make a room full of nine-year-olds laugh than 15-year-olds, at least in my experience. So, yeah, I, I've, I, I've worked with younger students too, and I find it great, but I think I, my preference is slightly older students. And for you, do you find working with a student for a long period of time or working them with them for one year and then passing them off is a better? Um, it's situational. I've, I've had both experiences. I think it's sometimes great to see a student grow and mature while you're working with them. Uh, at times, there are students I was happy to pass along to somebody else because uh, I, I either helped them as much as I could or simply was sick of them and were ready to move on. But um, it, it, it depends. It, I've had both experiences. Um, I've, I've worked in a lot of places, so the hardest thing about that is, is sometimes you, you don't know what happens. You teach a student for a year or two, and then um, they're still there, but you're gone. So sometimes um, you may keep a connection with that student, but sometimes you, you don't know. And that, that can be challenging to um, work with a student closely and then 
move halfway across the world and you you don't always know what happened next for them. You said you had two very interesting students that you taught with very different learning profiles. Um, in terms of students I've taught, I've taught at this point in my career thousands of people. Uh, so I could speak a lot about those students, but I'm here to talk specifically about two students that um, that I've, I've taught in my career. I'm, I'm willing to, to jump right in. So um, when, uh, when I thought about this question, there are lots of students I could, could think of, students that have presented different learning profiles and, and different abilities and, and were very interesting in, in many different ways. But I quickly focused on, on two students that I, I taught sort of one a little earlier in my career than another further along. Um, the first student was a, a student I taught in Austin, Texas. And when I worked in Austin, Texas, I before I worked in a school, I worked for a nonprofit. And that nonprofit worked with um, both youth and adults who had dropped out of high school or had been kicked out of high school or had been incarcerated or had suffered some issues that meant they could not finish and complete high school. And so I worked with a young man who actually worked for that nonprofit. And as part of his work, he could attend school there. And so I was teaching him. And this student had been incarcerated for several years, had dropped out of school in eighth grade, had never went to high school. Um, and he, it quickly became clear to me, he, was, he had a lot of difficulties. He he essentially was illiterate. He could not read, despite at this point he was probably in his mid-twenties. And he was uh, articulate, he was kind, he worked hard, but he, he could not read, which, which to me was shocking. It was shocking to meet someone, um, an adult, who had a job who couldn't read. Um, the most interesting thing about him was how intelligent he was, and this became apparent through our conversations, but one day um, we decided to play a game of chess. And this young man destroyed me in about five moves. Now, I'm not a professional chess player. I would never claim to be, but I'm, I thought pretty decent at it. And he eviscerated me in, in short order. And through playing with him uh, after our sessions every day, he, he was just this gifted chess player and he, he told me that when he was incarcerated he would play chess and he learned to play chess and he, he became really good at it. Um, the kind of takeaway from this interaction with the student over, over several years was just how intelligent this person was despite not having the ability to read. People would meet him and, and realize he was illiterate and think he was stupid or think there was something wrong with him. There was nothing wrong with him. The problem was essentially the society he had been born into and grew up in and had had put him in this situation. And so he had these learning difficulties or these learning disabilities, if you want to call them, but simply put, they were things he had to deal with that he shouldn't have had, have had to deal with. Um, he was clearly intelligent, he's clearly articulate, he's clearly someone 
in a different place in time would have been much more successful. When I say successful, I mean he would have had a better job and would have not had to deal with the criminal justice system and would have had a better chance to make more of the potential he had. And so that really struck me that um, someone who is so intelligent could be let down and simply by the situation he was brought into. And it, it made me think, and once again, this is early in my career about how difficult it can be for people with learning differences or learning difficulties. If they're in the wrong situation, they are really, they're, they're just put in a place that is hard to get out of. And um, I, I saw that very clearly with this student. So do you think this shows how our current system isn't really set up for people with learning differences? Or what do you think this says about how we're currently dealing with students with learning differences? I think you, you said it yourself. It's not set up very well. People that present differently, whether they act differently, or learn differently, or process differently, or are treated, they're not treated the same. We have this idea of like acting normal, right? A normal student behaving normal, right? What, what does that mean really? What is normal? What is what is what counts as normal and what doesn't? Um, and this has changed over time, but I think we still have a system where acting normal or behaving normal is what you're expected, while really there is no normal. No one is normal. There is, normal is not. It, it's a idea that isn't real. It's, it's something that we, we struggle with. And I don't know how we get around that, but realizing that I think helped me change my, my thinking and kind of my, my teaching practice as well. And then you want to talk a bit about your uh, second student? Sure. Um, so this um, was a little later in my career. I was teaching at a, a, a school in, in Hungary, uh, the western half of, of Hungary. And um, this, I was uh, teaching, I was an English as a second language teacher. So I was teaching native Hungarian students who spoke Hungarian fluently and then were learning English as their second language. And I was their, their English teacher. And um, one student quickly stood out to me because they uh, actually sounded, when they spoke English, exactly like Mr. Bean, which seemed very strange to me. But this student was, was actually um, their parents was, one of their parents was from England. So they spoke English fluently already. Um, and their other parent was Hungarian, so they spoke Hungarian fluently, they spoke English fluently. Um, they really did not need to be in an English language class, because besides speaking like Mr. Bean, they spoke English perfectly. Um, but the, what I found out about this student, this student was, was on the, the autism spectrum. And this student had difficulty across all their classes. Um, the teachers simply did not know how to teach this student, did not know how to deal with this student, did not know how to um, help this student learn what they were trying to teach them. And um, this was very apparent to me very early on. Um, I had some experience with students like this. I also really made a good connection with this student and, and this student's parents, especially um, 
having parents that spoke English fluently, uh, which was helpful for me, who also spoke very poor and limited Hungarian. So um, working with this student, I was really able to see in another country, another system, how students with different learning profiles are also let down. Students with different learning profiles are expected to act and learn normally, where I don't, once again, what is normal? Is there a normal way? Um, and teachers in this place did not have a way to reach this kind type of student and teach them the way they needed to be taught or just interact with them as a, as a regular person. And so um, what I found out, much like I had noticed earlier in my career, is building a, a bond with the student was important, getting them to trust me, getting them to to build a relationship built on trust and understanding was the key to unlocking what they could do. And this this young man has gone on to, to do brilliant things. Um, I, I still keep in touch with his, his family and, and I hear about his, um, his achievements and um, I'm very proud that he's been able to do that. Very, very good stories. Thank you. Um, and I guess okay, you've talked some of you about some of these stories you've had. Um, but which of these stories or which place were you taught do you think would have had the greatest effect on how you teach today and the person you are now? Um, I honestly don't know. That's a difficult question to answer. And I think to answer it, I would would change the question slightly. I don't think it was places. I think it was people. Um, there's people I've interacted with almost everywhere that I've worked. Um, and it, it was not just students, but other teachers I work with, other staff I worked with. That I think I've taken away um, different lessons and different things from, from each of those, those people. And and obviously some of that's tied to place, but I've had, um, I've faced challenges everywhere I've taught. I've faced challenging students everywhere I've taught, but I've also gained lessons and learned things in all of those places. And I learned those through working with people. And um, I, it, it's, I think it's almost impossible to list the the people that have sort of impacted me or or even the people that have most impacted me i don't even know if i could could make such a list um i think there's been so many throughout all the places i've worked so i don't even know if it's or at least i never thought of it as a strategy to help a dyslexic person um because i don't really think about the necessarily the, the, the specific diagnosis of a, a student. I mean, it's important. I have lots of documents that say what it is. I've read lots of things about it. I understand the ramifications, but I look for a way to reach particular students, and I, I look for the strategies I've utilized before, and not necessarily the same situation. So I think of here's this crazy word. How do we say it? 
How do we write it? What does it look like? How do we break it down? How do we decode it? Um, and that is a strategy, if you could even call it that, that I, I use for, for lots of students. I look for a way I could help them best. And I don't necessarily look for the way that you necessarily help this student with this diagnosis specifically. Um, it's always kind of a case-by-case -case basis. And there's trial and error, but um, I find that approach works because the approaches that have been tried with that student before, maybe they don't work, right? So maybe something else needs to be tried or something could work better. So other than your experience teaching people English, what would you say you base your strategies off of? Um, well, I've, I've taught so many different kinds of students. I've taught gifted and talented students. I've taught twice exceptional students. So that's students that are, could be borderline genius yet have a severe learning disability, right? Um, they can play the violin for, you know, at a symphony, but they can't do math, right? They have a variety of, of, of sort of exceptions. Um, and I've taught students that, you know, are all over the place with, with different challenges, different abilities. And so I, I think the strategies I, I use, and, and it's almost silly to call them strategies because I don't, I don't think of them that way. I simply think about this student in this particular situation, how can I help them the most? And oftentimes, really, the secret is there are no strategies. It's just simply to try to make them comfortable, give them confidence, and encouragement. And what that looks like for one student might be very different than another student. Some students need a lot of support, a lot of infrastructure. Others just need to be told that, don't worry about it, everything will be fine. You're doing okay. So um, it, it's really particular to particular students. I, I wish I had you know, a more set strategy but or strategies, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I really do. I think it's very much relationship-driven. So you've taught a lot of students over the years, and if we're going to stay on this uh, same note of strategies, uh, I was wondering if we could go into what do you find most common amongst your students with learning differences? It could be ADHD, dyslexia, autism. You can choose which one you'd like to talk about here. Or you could, and what strategies like would you find can best, can the student use to best improve, like let's say how they're doing at school or even their mental health? Okay, well I think oftentimes with students, it, it's simply motivation. I think I find, especially with students with learning differences, they there's they have more hurdles to overcome um, and by overcoming those they they can lose motivation they have to work harder and the whole, the, even the whole idea of working harder we think of work as something you're paid for right um, if I go to work they pay me to do it if I tell a student do more work turn your work in um, this whole idea of just producing work and being assessed on work, I think, is is problematic. Um, 
and it can be very easy to be demotivated by that idea. Why am I doing this work? What am I getting out of it? What is the point of it? Why should I do it? Why should I try so hard simply to do this? Yeah. And I think that's often really a hard question to answer. Yeah, I can, I can sorry to cut you off here, but just wanted to say I can kind of agree with that. Sometimes I'll have like a large assignment or something like that, or even I might be going halfway through the year and I might feel like burnt out, like uh, I just worked so hard, there's a lot I do. And of course, then there's this kind of misconception, I don't know if that's the right term for this, where people who don't have learning differences don't understand what it's like to have a learning difference. And because of that, they assume how hard they're working to get the same assignment in at the same time is the same way, just as hard as you're working. And even if you get like a similar grade on them, I feel like as someone with a learning difference myself, I'm working at least twice as hard to get that grade, or at least putting twice as much like energy into my assignment to mm -hmm. get that grade than someone without. Yeah, and then that's a really good point. It, it, you have to work work once again twice as hard to achieve the same result and it's like just because you work harder doesn't mean you get an extra reward right you get the same thing and then also what's what if the point is is the point learning or is the point in turning in your worksheet what is the point right why are we here so um and students have have asked me these questions before and and i struggle with an answer but I come back to what I said about being honest and trying to be humorous is sometimes I say, well, it actually isn't important. It's totally stupid and it's a waste of time, right? But why do you have to do it? So I don't have to email your parents about not doing it, right? And so I, and I, 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 I find that that's sort of a, a central contradiction. What is the point of this? Why do you have to do this? And so. I, I do, uh, I am cognizant of not just having students do work for work's sake, but have the work have meaning to it. And, um, you know, that's a difficult thing. Um, I think giving students the motivation to do these sometimes unnecessary or uh, mundane tasks can be, it's challenging. And so um, having the student be motivated to do the work, what you can build that motivation on, I think is, is important. And for students with learning differences, that, that motivation, I think, is, is, um, can be more difficult, as you were saying, because um, you're working so hard for what, right? So uh, to me, that, that's kind of the central piece, um, the central challenge with, with students, with, with learning differences or anything else is, is being motivated to get the grades or, or achieve the things they want to achieve while they're in that school. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a purpose behind the work. Uh, would you mind going into detail on what like a example of purpose in work could be? Sure. Um, I, I teach humanities classes and I teach key courses. So in a key course, um, Just as clarification here, uh, key course is like a special education course, 
uh, they just uh, our school calls it something slightly differently. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, for example, in a key course, I I may assign students something to read, and I may ask them to write something about it, or or and ultimately, sometimes the goal could be I think this is important for you to know. I think you should know about what's in this this thing I'm asking you to read, and I want you to write about it because I'm genuinely curious as to what you think. And I want to see your thinking and your thought process, and I also want you to practice writing. So that's an example of, I'm not just, I wouldn't assign, um, read this article and write a response simply to fill 45 minutes, right? Um, and I think teaching at a humanities class, it, it is similar. I, I would want, this is an important thing to, to see or know or learn. And I, I want to be able to, see what you think about it, see your perspective, um, your understanding, because I'm not necessarily looking for a particular answer, but I, I genuinely want to know kind of how you process this and, and what you get out of it. Um, and I don't know that until, until I see what, what you can produce. So I generally, not generally, I always try to have that in mind when I'm creating assignments or creating work or creating a unit plan or a curriculum that it's not work for work's sake but work with a purpose because students have a lot of work to do and a lot of it is a waste of time so if I'm going to tell them to or insist they spend their precious time on my assignments I want them to at least mean something and I guess um, going into that, you're also a teacher who's probably the first one who's actually done this. Uh, though I will say in the past, they used to do these reading exercises where we'd like, read through a passage and they time it to see if we're improving our reading. I didn't really understand the point behind those because they were horrible passages. Um, but you, um, you, since I've started with you, you've started to get me to do more reading. And like you said, you, you'll choose a passage. I'm interested in or you you think might be interesting and then you'll get me to write a little bit about it um, or we'll just have a conversation about it as a way to mm -hmm. like, compare our opinions on the piece. Would you like to go a little bit more into how you choose these passages or what passages you've chosen in the past? Um, I, I try to, I mean my, my simple standard is things that are interesting and now what's interesting to me might not necessarily be interesting to other people. I, I understand that completely. But I guess uh, the other word besides interesting would be relevant. Either relevant to our place and time in the world or relevant to something going on or relevant to history or relevant to culture or relevant to a place, but have some relevance. And um, that's why it, it could be articles or essays about things that are not necessarily something I'm into, you know, it could be science or math related or, or something else, um, or literature or whatever, um, or things that that particular student or, or students may have an interest in. I think it's important to, to find things students are interested in, engaged in, and broaden their interests as well, as well as deepen it. So um, the only way to do that is to, to expose students to, to more more writing uh, and the opportunity to read read more things and, and 
I find, I remember being in school, you have to read a lot. And most of, I shouldn't say most, a lot of what I had to read or was supposed to read was not very interesting. I did not enjoy it. Um, and you shouldn't just read things you enjoy. But I comes back to this idea of work. If I'm going to have a student devote some amount of their time and attention and, and energy to something, I want it to be something worth reading. And so I, I try to be very deliberate with what those things are. And quite simply, they're things I'm going to read myself. So why would I choose something that's not very interesting or relevant to read if I myself am going to read it also? Okay. Um, thank you very much. We're reaching the end of our time today. Is there anything, are there any uh, final things you'd like to say or add in before we wrap up? Um, well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really interesting to hear your questions and your perspective. Um, and just having this conversation, it, it, it sort of helped me think about what I do and, and maybe how I do it. And um, I have certainly learned a lot from it. Um, and I think what my, my final thought, I guess, is that it's throughout your life, you, you leave school when you're 18 or you're 22 or whenever you do, but you're, you're always learning. You, you never stop. You're, you, even when you're a, a teacher, you are a perpetual student. And I, I'm a student, I'm as much a student now at my age as I was when I was in school, um, even being on the other side. So I think you're always learning. You're always seeing what you don't know, learning more. Um, and that never changes. So when you take off your cap and gown and throw everything in the air and have your party, it's never over. And um, I think when you realize that, it, it's a really, it's a great thing because you don't need to be in an institution or be sitting behind a desk uh, to, to keep learning. And um, you know, you, you never have to, so keep going, you keep learning, you keep failing sometimes, but um, the idea is that the more you know, the better you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Moylan. Um, it's great to have you on the show today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Marco. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Dyslexia and Beyond. I can't wait to see you next month when we interview Rachel Forbes from the Learning Disabilities Society based out of Vancouver, Canada. They provide a range of science-based support services to help people with learning differences from a wide range of ages learn, develop, and succeed.